Hello again, listeners, and welcome back to the Games We Love podcast. I'm your host, Aaron White, and you are listening to the show that promotes positive gaming discussion, featuring interviews and conversations with passionate gamers, including journalists, developers, podcasters, streamers, critics, and other diehard video game fans about a personal favorite game that they love. In this episode of the podcast, I am joined by former IGN reporter, RPG lover, and creator and host of the History and Games podcast, Megan Sullivan. Hello, Megan. Hello. I am so glad you're here and that I can actually hear you and you can hear me. Yes, we had a bit of a, we had a bit of technical difficulties, which if you know me is the proud tradition of Megan Sullivan. There's always technical difficulties. Well, I'm so glad we got to keep that going and I'm glad that we were able to collectively figure it out <laughs> and solve yes, our the two of us we actually managed to figure it out yes well i am so glad that you are here and i'm getting the chance to talk to you and and share some of your story with the listeners um i you know i like to start this podcast off it's for me as much as it is for them to be honest because i want to know these things so i want to know how you started getting into gaming it's really fascinating to me anytime i get to talk to someone in the industry to figure out like what did they start with what console what, what games what sucked them into this hobby especially to the point in your case where it eventually turns it into a career so where did it start for you oh wow so my earliest gaming memories i think goes back to pizza parlors do you remember pizza parlors in the old days would have like a corner where all the arcade machines were yes and they'd have like tons of games on one Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, I have vague memories of like the original Street Fighter or like Pole Position and Pac-Man, those like old arcade games. And so it goes way, way back in my childhood where it's like video games were always there somewhere in the background. And then I have, you know, older siblings and they had their video game consoles. So I think my eldest brother had a, I think he had an Atari 2600. So like way back machine. And they were just always a part of my life. So I grew up as a gamer because I didn't know any better. It's just a part of my life. Did you start with, you said, so your brother had an Atari. Did you start full on with the Nintendo generation then? Yeah, that was, that was my younger brother and I. So we were the 8-bit Nintendo generation. So we, gosh, when did we get, I think it was like in like second grade or something. And we got nintendo and at the time it was like it blew my mind like super mario brothers and duck hunter and it's like oh this is awesome it'll never get any better than this <laughs> and then like super nintendo came along and it was like 16 bits and i was like oh my gosh it'll never get better than this and then playstation came along and like so i've seen the entire like narrative arc of the evolution mm -hmm. of video games and it's just been really amazing yeah, so that was very similar to me. That means that puts us around the same age. <laughs> it's, yeah, this question yeah, always dates people. Not mentioning my name or my not my name, my age. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that was the same for me. I, I got it for Christmas one year, and I just I never stopped after that point. Um, have you always been the kind of person that had all kind of consoles, or have you gravitated toward one particular brand? Um, so when I was little, Nintendo was like the thing to have. I think my brother got a Sega Genesis, but I mostly was a Nintendo fan growing up. And then when Final Fantasy made the jump to PlayStation, I kind of made the jump to PlayStation. And then I became a huge Sony fangirl for a while. And then once like the Wii came out and the 3DS came out and of course the Switch came out, I went back to being 
a Nintendo fan, but I, I've had all like almost all the consoles at some point. So like an Xbox and, you know, I've had um, I only got recently into PC gaming because when I was growing up, PCs were for homework and work, not for gaming. We had the gaming console for fun, but the computer was for like serious work. I don't know why there was that division between like like work and fun, but I never grew up playing CRPGs or like Ultima or anything like that. Like it was always consoles for games and then PC for work. And about 10 years ago, I finally got over that. I was like, you know what? I can get a computer that can play video games and not crash. So yeah. <laughs> that's what I did. Which, how do you split up where you play where? That's always interesting to hear. Um, You know, it's kind of funny. It just depends. Like PlayStation 4 has had a lot of exclusives that I've really loved. So I just happened to play a lot of games on PlayStation 4. And then in the past couple of years, Nintendo has been an RPG juggernaut. And that's kind of my specialty. So I've been playing the heck out of my Nintendo Switch. And then uh, with Xbox One, I played a few exclusives. But it was it was funny. I missed out on all the cool Xbox 360 games because I could only afford either a PS3 or an Xbox 360. I went with the PS3 and then I missed a bunch of cool games on Xbox 360. And I thought, well, I'm not going to do that again. So I got an Xbox One as well as a PlayStation 4, and it turns out that all the exclusives I wanted to play were on PlayStation 4. I haven't called this one right yet. So here's hoping that, you know, if I get both a new PlayStation 5 and the new Xbox console, what is it? Xbox One Series X. Series, <laughs> Series yeah, I'm, 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 yes. I know. All, of the, so <laughs> all the words for it. It's weird because I feel like they are doing so well in so many areas right now. Their console is an absolute beast. They are yes. set up to succeed better than they have in any generation ever. And then they give it the most confusing name ever. And it's like, why are you guys making so many amazing decisions? And yet this completely boneheaded, you know, just call it Lockhart or whatever you were going to call it before. You know, was make it, it... Scarlet. Scarlet was really cool, too. That was a cool name. I was like, I would get an Xbox Scarlet regardless of the games. It just sounds really cool. Totally, totally does. So uh... I, I'm, I'm super hoping that... The new Xbox will have all these amazing games because I, I, I have no dog in the console war fight. I just give me all the great games. I don't care what it's on. If I can afford it, I'll I'll buy it. Yep. Great games is what matters the most. I completely yes. agree with that. Well, people may know your name from IGN, where you were a reporter for a while. And now you put out YouTube videos. You have this History and Games podcast. How did you get into the video game industry? So take me on your journey to IGN, I guess, first. Well, you know, I actually went through school. So I went through high school, college, grad school. And then I taught English in Japan for six months. And then I came back and I was like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. All I know is that I love to write. I know the Japanese language. I love video games and history, and that's about all I knew. So it took me about a year to find a job. And then one day in 2006, uh, IGN had an online advertisement that they were looking for a news editorial position to fill. So I tried out for that. I didn't get that. But when I went in to do the interview, they were so impressed, they passed my resume along to the database team. So for those who don't know, the database team is a team responsible for content curation so we'd put in the information about a game. We'd put in the price, what features the game has, et cetera, et cetera. That has to be put in manually. So I actually ended up getting that job. And that's the job I had for 13 years. 
So I just got really lucky in my case, and I just happened to be in the right place at the right time, and that's how I got into the games industry. Interesting. So I've heard that before, the right place at the right time, but I think it definitely also has to, you were ready to take advantage of that, right? So you, I think you were able to capitalize on it. Well, I, I was. I think one of the reasons they hired me, though, was because I could read and write Japanese. And oh, at the time, there was no like Google Translate or Bing, which are both awful still, mm-hmm. but they're better, better than nothing. And so that allowed me to like read Pamitsu articles online and be like, what is the name of the game? What is it about? When does it come out? So that kind of gave me a little bit of the edge. And so that's how I got in. So for those who want to get into the industry, think of all the things that make you kind of unique and, and would give you the advantage and, and, and really hold on to that and, and let people know. Cause that's, that's how I got my foot in the door. I didn't try out for IGN 13 times. I was just like, what do I have that other people don't have? What can I contribute? And so that was, that was kind of the thing that gave me the edge. That's awesome. Now, how did you come to learn Japanese? Was that just out of sheer, just personal preference you just wanted to learn it or did you travel or oh no this is such a typical a typical story that i got in because of anime oh that's that's great that's a great reason when i was in school the big anime at the time was sailor moon and dragon ball so this predates even pokemon a little bit and that's how i got that was like my gateway into japanese culture and i fell in love with anime then i fell in love with j-pop then i fell in love with like Japanese history and then I fell in love with like different aspects of the culture and so that's kind of how it was but honestly as just like cringy and stereotypical as it sounds it started with Sailor Moon well look where it led you right exactly Sailor, Sailor Moon can take you on a great path <laughs> it, it can Sailor Moon is good for you people <laughs> so what is it you do now how did you transition from IGN to your I think what I would consider more personal projects that you're creatively putting out at this time Exactly so I worked at IGN for 13 years and I loved it but I felt like I'd kind of done everything there was to do and I wanted to explore other options and so I initially I went to Apple for a little bit but uh, as much as I actually love that job the commute was really horrible. It was a four-hour commute every day, and uh, it was it was pretty it was pretty draining. And so I was like, okay, I I should have taken the sabbatical. So that's exactly what I did. I took a year off, and I was like, again, what do I want to be when I grow up? And I'd had all these ideas kicking around. So history and games actually started as a Twitch stream. So every Tuesday and Thursday, I would Twitch stream from like 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. and I would play a game with some sort of historical slant to it. And then I talk about the real history. But I was like, I always thought it would be better as a podcast. So the time to research it and the the time to like put a formal uh, structure uh, on on the history lesson that I was doing. And so I was like, you know what? I got nothing to do right now. I got no job. Why don't I just make this podcast for fun and see where it goes? I feel like there's something special here. So I started that last year. And it started to do like it's been kind of a, a slow uptick of word of mouth, like people being like, oh, hey, what is this? This is kind of cool. And then uh, I didn't have any video editorial experience, but I slowly learned how to edit videos. And I was like, you know what? This would be cool visually. So let me try that. So it's it's been a very like steady 
uphill incline, but it all started as, you know what? I've always had this idea. I have nothing to lose. Why not go for it? That's fascinating. You know, I think it's great for people to hear that too, that you're not even doing it because you're getting paid to do it. You're just doing it for fun. Because... I, I am getting I am getting no sponsorship yeah. right now, although I am working on a Patreon because it would be nice to be paid because I still don't have a job and I would still very much like to <laughs> absolutely. make money at some point. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think I mean, I think these days most of us creators are hoping for that in some capacity, but it's yeah. it shows, you know, when you have that passion, it really comes through in the podcast. And yeah, if people have, I hope people will listen start to it. these things to make money that you're do, you're going about it wrong. I understand the instinct to do that, but do it because you want to do something that makes you happy. Even if you have zero listeners or it's just like your mom and your best friend listening. I mean, it, if it's something you really love and believe in, you've got nothing to lose. Go for it. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I really do. I hope people will check out this podcast because it is very unique. Like you said, there's, it's hard to find a niche in the podcast world and, and especially around video games, things are very much the same. It's, hey, let's review whatever came out this week that's new or what's coming up. Let's talk about the news because there's always crazy news cycles. And it's hard to find something that sets yourself apart and that is very interesting. And yours is, well, I mean, obviously it's interesting and it's also educational. So if you've got a, a really great twofer of a, of a, of a thing there, a, a project. And I think that people will enjoy it if they'll just check it out. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I do hope that your listeners check it out. Hopefully it's fun. And yes, you will, you will hopefully learn something as well. Well, I want to talk a little bit about what you're playing now or what you've been playing recently. I, I call this our gaming shout out section because it's these podcast episodes are recorded a little bit in advance. And so I, I kind of take like a six month time frame and think about what is something you've really enjoyed because I want to keep everything positive here and I don't want you to have to talk about something you didn't like. But what have you been playing in the last six months or so that you have found to just be an absolute joy? Oh my gosh, Animal Crossing New Horizons. It's uh, just it's just chicken soup for the soul. It really is. I love that game so much. Oh yes. Yes, yes, yes. So okay, so did you start playing on opening day? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I definitely did. But you know, the funny thing is a lot of people either time skip in that game or they play it for like 12 hours in a row and I'm like, "Nope, I'm going to be on island time. I'm going to this is my chill and video game video game where I just I play every couple hours I just relax on the beach maybe gather some fruit sell it buy some cute furniture or do some landscaping on my island I mean I I'm taking this real nice and slow and I'm just I'm just loving it so that sounds awesome to me because that's how I play the game as well I'm not a time skipper I'm not in a rush I was kind of in a rush in the beginning I wanted to get all of the terraforming abilities unlocked. And then once yeah, I realized too. how complicated terraforming was, I was like, oh, well, never mind. That's really hard. <laughs> um, have you done much with your island? Have you tricked it out and made it really cool and great for people to visit? So I actually, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I finally got terraforming. And I've just been very careful about like what I've been doing. Because it's funny, when you terraform, you make these shapes so you can't quite put them back exactly in order I found. So I was trying to make a little heart shape with a lake today because I thought it'd be really cute. I'm trying to sort of recreate Golden Gate Park in San Francisco with flowers and trees. And I want to make a little heart shaped lake. 
but I couldn't quite get the shape right. And every time I tried to go back and redo it, I got a completely different shape. And I was like, okay. So I'm still trying to figure this out. But yeah, I have like a, a like a garden area and a sports area where I'm building a wrestling ring because I'm a big wrestling fan. And then like I have all this like dedicated space to different things. But I got to tell you, my island looks like trash compared to some of the pro islands I've seen out there. I mean, some of you guys are so amazing and creative. I just it blows my mind how creative people are with this game. It really it really does. <laughs> it, it shocks me and it, it shocks me. People that I know in real life who I would have never in a million years thought they'd ever play a video game who bought a Switch and then bought Animal Crossing because of the word of mouth and have put 200 plus out. I mean, they've lapped me in time and they're making their islands look incredible. And I'm just like, where is this creativity coming from? It provides an outlet for people for sure. I do. And I think it just came at the perfect time. You know, we're going through a stressful pandemic. People are trapped in their homes. They need something positive. They need something that makes them feel good. And can allow them to escape for a little bit. And so I just love seeing how much Animal Crossing means to people and how it is. It's a creative outlet for people. It's a positive feedback loop. It's just so good and wholesome. So if, if you guys, if you haven't checked out Animal Crossing New Horizon, the best way to explain it is it's a game about making friends and building a community. And it's so much fun doing that. Now, do you have any favorite villagers so far? Well, I am trying, and I've been trying forever, to get Anka on my island. So for those who don't know, Anka is a snooty cat, basically straight out of ancient Egypt. So I love history, so I'm trying to collect all the historical characters. So I've got Klaus, and he kind of represents ancient Rome. And then you've got Anka, who represents ancient Egypt. And I just, I cannot get her. I can go to other people's islands and talk to her, but I can't get her to come to my island because there are two or three villagers who will not move out. And I can only have 10 villagers at a time. And I'm like, you, you, and you, get out. They won't leave. There's no way to, like, push your Animal Crossing villagers out if you want to replace them. You just have to wait for some sort of timer to count down before they finally are like, I'm thinking of moving. And I'm like, I think you should. <laughs> That's so hardcore. <laughs> Somebody made – I actually downloaded the QR code for this. Somebody made an eviction notice you oh can my put goodness. outside – your least favorite villagers' homes. <laughs> I'm like, that's so mean. I have got to, you've got to send that to me on Twitter or something because it's, that's a phenomenal. My daughter has a couple that she just hates and she is so mean to them. <laughs> yeah, you, you think if you beat them over the head with a net, they would yeah. take the hint and they're like, what's your problem? And then two seconds yeah. later, like, hi, how are you? And you're like, no, go away. I don't like you. I love that there are villagers, there's like 300 plus, and so that they have so many different kinds that they can appeal to different people's sensibilities. And so you have these that are kind of historical tie-ins that are perfect for you. I'm a cat yeah. lover, so I want all the cats. I have zero cats so far, but I want all the cats. Yeah, uh, see, like the first 10 villagers, like a lot of them, you don't really have a choice. Like sometimes mm -hmm. it's just whoever moves in and you're like, no, not you. Yeah. You're, well, you're excited at first. You're like, ooh, yes, I want people on my island. And then you're like, wait, but you're, you kind of are boring. <laughs> and yeah. So. Yeah. I got, I've got, I've got a pretty good eclectic mix, but I've got one too many of the same type of islanders. And they're all, they all say the exact same thing. And I'm like, no, I need some, I need some diversity here. So we'll see. Now, do you see yourself playing this game throughout the rest of the year? Is this a, a log on every day for 30 minutes kind of game for you? Or do you think you'll fall off of it? 
at some so point. So I, I think I will be able to maintain the rest of the year. I was able to play Animal Crossing Pocket Camp for about a year. In fact, I finally got rid of it on my phone because I was spending too much time and too much money. Plus, I feel really guilty because I played... Back in the day, I played Animal Crossing New Leaf, and I played that game religiously for two months, and then I dropped it, and I'm pretty sure that village is just, like, dead and gone and just miserable, and, you know, I've always been afraid that the Isabel in that that game is, like, hunting me down as we speak because I just up and quit that game, so it's, like, a guilt thing that I have to, you know, check in to my New Horizon island every day because I don't want to make the animals sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's crazy. I mean, it I, it's it is addictive like that. And I wonder what's going to happen when we all go back to work or when we have our regular flow of life, whenever that happens to come back, if if ever uh, here. But I do wonder, like, are we going to be as able and as, I guess, locked into Animal Crossing in that way? And we also haven't had a lot of game releases either. So. Yeah, there's been a bit of a lull. So Animal Crossing came a little bit after Final Fantasy VII Remake, but between that and like Last of Us 2 or Ghost, Ghost of Tsushima, there's not been a whole lot. So Animal Crossing has a really nice space mm-hmm. that it can it can really succeed. It's, it's, it's done really well, and it makes me very happy. Yeah, makes me happy too. I love it. Well, I wanted to talk just briefly about a game that we played here at my house recently, and it's called Telling Lies. Are you familiar with Telling Lies and... Her story. Um, I think so. I want to say Nina Freeman was playing that on her Twitch channel, but I can't remember. Is that the one where you investigate people and you have to you have to tell if they're lying or not? Mostly, yes. So you the games were developed by a developer named Sam Barlow, and he first made this game called Her Story that came out a couple years ago and was a, just a supremely major indie hit. People loved it. And this is the follow-up to that game. It came out last year on PC and on mobile devices. A lot of people played it on iPad. And then it came to consoles about a month ago or a few weeks ago, I guess. And so I was able to finally get around to it. And it essentially is a desktop thriller. And what happens is when you start the game, you or your character, I guess, would you would say, is a walks into a room sits down at a computer, boots it up, and all you get on your screen, your UI, is just the computer screen that this character is working with. And essentially, you start to piece the story together for yourself by clicking around in this old-school computer. You can play solitaire, you can look in the trash, you can move things to the trash, you can read, the, you, know, you can change the Wi-Fi network, all kinds of little specific details... But the main game is played when you pull up this archive of video clips, and there are a crazy number of them, like 170 or something of wow. these video clips. Yeah, and they range anywhere from 30 seconds to a few of them are eight or nine minutes long. And the game gives you a search bar, and what you do is you can type in a word there, and the game starts off by giving you the word love. And five clips come up and it says like five of 18. And what that means is that somewhere in 18 of those clips, the word love is spoken. And so what you do is you just start watching videos. And from there, you start to get this story about um, a, a character, a man who is 
working with a group of people. I, it's very hard to talk about this without giving any spoilers at all, but I, cause I don't want to spoil anything, but, um, you know, essentially he is working with a, a group of people and he may or may not be telling the truth in what role he is playing in relation to them. And then there are three other female characters that are all interwoven into his world in some way. And their stories are just, they start to interlock and it takes you on any number of branching trajectories. And the thing is that depending on what you watch, you will uncover a little piece of information. And so say I watch one video and I hear a name Henry spoken and I'm like, hmm, well, what you can do is you, you pause the video and it's all subtitled and you can move your little clicker down and highlight the word Henry and click it and it will search for all the videos with the word Henry in them. Oh, so wow. Then, yep. So then you read the ones with or watch the ones with Henry. And the big time kicker for the game is that you only are watching one side of a conversation at any time. So everything is based around this main character uh, played by Logan Marshall Green. A very good actor. He was in the OC, one of my favorite old shows. Oh <laughs> wow! Yeah, Man, I remember that show. That's awesome. Yeah, and he uh, he also starred recently in a movie called Upgrade, which is awesome. A lot of people call him the Discount Tom Hardy because he looks a lot like Tom <laughs> I know Hardy. Looks like Tom Hardy. But he, it's a phenomenal performance, and everything is from his computer, his capture devices perspective. So you will watch one clip of him talking to someone, and it would be like listening to you and I have this conversation, but you would only hear me talking in just silence whenever I wasn't. So then what you need to do is you need to find a word that you can link up and search for so you can find the other half of that conversation. And then you would listen to your side of you and I's conversation. And you would just start following rabbit trails. And it was a ton of fun. It's not a super long game. My kids and I, it's supposed to last about four hours. That's what I'd heard. So I was playing it with the kids. I have two teenagers. And we spent the first four hours of this game, and we only made it one hour of progress in actual game time. So we were not very far at all. And we were freaking out about what we had done wrong. Well, come to find out, when you boot up this game, it gives you these starting videos, like four or five of them. But we didn't watch them all. We just watched the first one and immediately started going off on our own path. Oh. And apparently what it does is it introduces you to all of these four main characters. We didn't discover the fourth of the four characters until four hours into the game <laughs> because we just started off on a different way. Uh, so it was it was fun. It was a blast. It was really an interesting story. Um, it ends, it gets, it's really intense. It's got a lot of emotional trauma and a lot of gray area from an ethical standpoint that you kind of have to wrestle with and, and make some decisions based on how you feel about these different characters. And depending on which character you spent the most time with watching the most of their videos, you get a specific epilogue that tells you what happened to that character at the end of this story. So um, I highly, highly recommend it. I thought it was just a fantastic experience, a very unique gaming experience, because you would think on the surface that just, hey, I'm going to play this game where I watch Zoom video calls all day long is not going to be that exciting. But it really <laughs> is. And for me specifically, being a film critic, too, I think this is a merger of a movie or maybe even like, say, a 10, 10 episode Netflix series and a video game in a way that is 
just so fascinating. I, I love the way that it's revealed in pieces and you're kind of, you're the detective putting it together um, all on your own. And so I, I highly recommend it. I, I'm excited to check out his first game, Her Story, which I've heard is even better. So I'll be doing that at some point soon. But yeah, Telling Lies, it's available now on pretty much every console. So I, I hope people will seek it out. It is worth the effort. Wow. I'm going to, I'm actually going to look it up after this interview because I I'd heard about it before, but I didn't know much about it. So that sounds really interesting. I like all those kind of really unique, small indie games that take some risks and do something different and it pays off really well. Cause I've heard her story also is really excellent. So now's my chance to play both those games. So that sounds great. Yeah. And, and they're, they're short. I mean, I, I love it. I promote these all the time. Short gaming experiences these days are amazing because we're going to talk about a game right now that you chose. When <laughs> That is the opposite. <laughs> that is not short. <laughs> when I asked you what you wanted to talk about, and this one came up, and I was excited that it came up because this is a game that has fascinated me, and I have a very complicated story with myself. But first, we're going to talk about what you love about this game. So why... Did you choose Assassin's Creed Odyssey? What is it that makes this one of your favorite games? So Assassin's Creed Odyssey, first of all, takes place in ancient Greece, which is like my favorite time period in all of history. And I've always loved Greek mythology. I've always loved Greek history. And so when they announced Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I flipped out. I was like, oh my gosh, it's about the Peloponnesian War. I have to play this game. And I had already played Assassin's Creed Origins. And I was, I was just like, this game is phenomenal and this is really awesome. And full confession, I'd played other Assassin's Creed games before, but I wasn't hugely into the mechanics. I, the, the first couple of games were okay, but it wasn't really my cup of tea. And then when they started doing these more open world RPG-esque things, I know that some you know OG Assassin's Creed fans don't like that, but I actually really did. It was kind of more what I'm used to, is those, those open world RPG type games. But it wasn't just that. The, the story is really engaging the world's really beautiful the mechanics for the most part are are really smooth and it was just it was just my chance to get lost in history and ubisoft does a great job recreating history uh they they go above and beyond like they spent five thousand hours researching uh the cathedral of notre dame for assassin's creed unity it gives you an idea of how much effort they put in to like recreate the experience of getting lost in history and so as a history lover who loves ancient greece i was like i have to play this game and it was so good i spent over 200 hours playing it in fact i'm trying to go through the rest of the dlc i'm on the last dlc for the game before i jump into assassin's creed valhalla so it was just a matter of history being having a lot of rpg elements and just being a lot of fun to play so definitely the perfect marriage for you. I, I can see how <laughs> that would come out and be like, this is made for Megan. Yay. <laughs> it's for me. Thank you, Ubisoft. This is, uh, I don't have the knowledge of history like you do, but this is my favorite historical era as well. Just the mythological Greek era based on Homer's Odyssey, of course, which is referenced in the title. Right. Um, and there's so much of that stuff that's going on. In, in this story to Spartans. I mean, the whole open, there's a part of this opening of this game that is basically makes you think of the opening to 300 or uh, one of the iconic scenes in the movie 300. And so all of that stuff is super compelling. Um, and it, and it sucked me into. So I totally get that. But how realistic is it? And I know you probably, you may have done this actually on your own podcast in depth, but 
in a short, I guess, spurt, can you tell me, does it do a good job? Did they, what, did those hours that they spent researching pay off? Well, so in terms of how the game looks, I would say yes, because I visited Athens about 10 years ago and where things are in Athens, like physical location of temples and shrines that would have existed in the fifth century are exactly where they're supposed to be in the game. So I could actually tell where I was running around the city and it's like, oh my gosh, this is really, really amazing. Like it, it's just, it's so good. And, you know, you're at the start of the Peloponnesian War and of course, you know, it's a historical fiction game. So they get to have license with certain things. And so my actually my first three episodes of History and Games was deep diving. Is it possible King Leonidas had two grandkids running around ancient Greece with his spear uh, as assassins? And so I spent three episodes explaining that all three of those things are actually possible to varying degrees and so they don't get everything right in this in in this story because of course you have to weave in the historical fiction elements but they do a pretty good job paralleling paralleling i don't know if that's a word but they they stick pretty close to thucydides idea the peloponnesian war so you actually do get to meet some historical characters so pausanias is indeed one of the Spartan kings at this time. You get to meet Brasidas. He was one of the Spartan generals. You meet Socrates. You meet Alcibiades. Uh, it was, you know, Pericles. It was really fun, like, running into historical figures like that. And it's the closest I'll ever get to doing that. So they take some liberties, but for the most part, they don't wander too far from history, which is nice. Yeah, that is nice. And, and I think that one of the cool things about the presentation of this game in general makes it so interesting that it can get people to want to learn more and want to seek out this era and experience other types of media, whether it's reading actual books about it yeah. um, or watching movies or whatever the case may be. I think God of War did that for Norse mythology as well. And so this one has sort of sparked that interest in the public. Yeah, and that's what I'm excited about. I always tell people, don't go into this game thinking it'll be a historical one-to-one -one anything. It's like going and watching 300. It is not based on Herodotus. It's based on Frank Miller's comic book. So just keep that in mind. But if it gets you interested, like I want to learn more about these things, that's perfect. I mean, I grew up, you and I grew up as the Oregon Trail generation, where we didn't realize we were learning as we played Oregon Trail. We just really wanted to see our so character true. dysentery die of dysentery because poop jokes. It's and so, so true. And so we had so much fun with that game. And it's, you know, games are a great vehicle for learning, especially if you can trick people into learning, because they don't feel like the boring chore. A lot of people I knew growing up didn't like history because they had stuffy old professors who did not know how to present history. I got lucky. I had some really good professors who knew how to like bring history to life and playing these kind of video games. So you're like, wow, this is so cool. And I'm actually enjoying this. I want to read more about it. Like that's what Assassin's Creed Odyssey uh, can do for people. It's like, wow, I didn't know this about, you know, who's Brasidas, who's Pausanias. I know Leonidas, but I don't know these guys. I'm going to go look it up. Like that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the cool things that AC Odyssey does is that it gives you the option to play as a female or a male character. And I believe it's the first time that it's ever done that. Yeah. Uh, you can either be Alexios or his sister Cassandra, and it actually has a ton of romance variety as well. And I was wondering how that option affected your experience with this game as opposed to other games in the series. Did it enhance it for you? 
It did enhance it for me. Um, you know, being able to play as a female character was a lot of fun. It's, you know, representation in games. I know it's been said over and over and over again, but it's really important because it's not to put a burden on the developer. You have to do this thing. You have to do that. It's just people want to feel included. They want to they want to feel like this is an avatar for them as well. So being able to play as male or female, being able to have whatever romantic option you want, it's like people get to join the party. People want to feel included and it makes them feel good. It's like, this is my story. I can I can romance who I want. I can be who I want. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So all these games are good irregardless, but having that inclusion, it, it does make a huge difference because then you feel like I can relate more to Cassandra than I can Alexios or, you know, I can I can romance who I, who I want. I don't feel like the game is pushing for any like particular demographic. It, it makes everyone feel like, you know what? You are you are welcome to play this game as well. Although I will say that there is one DLC where the game is kind of pushes you out of a family and you're like, don't why are you doing that game? It was just kind of weird. But otherwise, it was it was a lot of fun. I appreciated having those options. That's great. Yeah, I, I've heard very similar things from a lot of people. And I actually played as Cassandra in both of the times that I've started this game on two different consoles or platforms. I haven't gotten very far. I've only gotten like 20 hours into it, but it's not because I don't love it. It's because I'm intimidated by it. And I'm going to ask you about that later. But uh, <laughs> but I've I've started as Cassandra both times as well. And I never play as females. I always play as a male just because that's me identifying. Sure. And so I love that that option is there. But I've also had a blast playing as Cassandra because it has given me a completely different perspective. And her approach to... Cut in cutscenes specifically, the way the game shows you how she handles situations is clearly different than maybe a hardcore male Leonidas clone Spartan might have handled things. And so I've really liked that about the game and it's made it super engaging. Um, right. It's just, it's like just a learning. fun, different perspective. So it just gives you a little bit more variety. That's, that's really all it comes down to is just having that variety and those options just makes the game experience more interesting. Yeah. Well, you said you played Origins, so I'm glad because I wanted to ask about that as well, because it's, this is an extension of what AC did in Origins. Origins kind of took the series way off from the original Assassin's Creed formula. I mean, it had been slowly starting to get there, but we got a much more open world situation and Odyssey just expands on that. It gets bigger, it gets wilder, it becomes a more of a progressive loot-based game. And I, I wondered what of its mechanics stood out for you. Like, did you enjoy it as an RPG more than Origins because all of those things got ratcheted up a level? I did, and I understand that this is a little divisive for Assassin's Creed fans. You know, they kind of dropped the social stealth. They're bringing it back for Valhalla, but they kind of dropped the social stealth and they kind of changed the dynamic of the series. And so for me, it was actually what made me like the game because now I'm on better footing where I, I've got more choices. I've got branching, you know, all sorts of wonderful branching dialogue and I've got, you know, I can be an assassin. I could be a warrior. I could be a hunter. So you've got all those RPG elements. There's more crafting and, you know, there is, there's more loot based stuff. And for some people, they didn't like it because it's like, well, this doesn't feel like Assassin's Creed anymore. But for me, who wasn't, who was kind of a tepid Assassin's Creed fan, now I feel like it, it's a lot more interesting, a lot more engaging because I'm familiar with the mechanics. 
where there's just enough to do and there's all sorts of creative ways to do it that I felt like it was more engaging. I had a little more freedom and a few more choices. So I, I wasn't failing a social stealth mission because some guy turned around and saw me. I can stealth if I want, or I can just march into a fort and start, you know, attacking people. Teleporting so with your spear. All- yeah. <laughs> so I see. Yeah, I could do all sorts of, of different things. I'm not being railroaded into doing it a certain way. And although on the one hand, it's like it's supposed to be an assassin's creed. It's supposed to be about stealth. On the other hand, I liked having options. I just I just like options in games and role playing gives me those options. So for me, I enjoyed it. But I understand if you're an Assassin's Creed fan and you're like, but it doesn't feel like Assassin's Creed 2 or it doesn't even feel like Black Flag or anything like that or Unity. I, I totally understand. I understand why it's divisive. But for me, not being a huge AC fan to begin with, this is the thing that got me into it. That's great. I think that's awesome. And they definitely have created an entirely new fan base from this. And I think expanded that fan base in a way that is going to keep it going because they've clearly found something that works. Valhalla is going to stick with this formula I actually went back and played some of Origins before tonight because I wanted to have a comparison. And I also really like that time period as well. And what I found was the enhancements from Odyssey match the time period, I would say. Because Origins feels a little slower, but it, it feels the combat feels a little heavier. Yeah. In my opinion, a little more weighty. A little more, there's a lot more space, open space in the world map. And there's still icons on it everywhere. There's always things to go do. It's an open world game, but it just, it makes sense when you're in a desert area versus this massively island nation, uh, Greece. And um, what I, what I noticed is, you know, we're playing a demigod essentially in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. So it makes sense to have those elements where, like I said, you're teleporting with your spear and you're yeah. you're doing these kind of fantastical moves. Some people have criticized it because it's not grounded enough. Well, you're in ancient Greece and mythology. That's like criticizing Kratos for, <laughs> you know, having his axe come back to him. What fun is it if it doesn't? You know, you know what I mean? And so I think it works really well with the setting. But if we go to Valhalla, you know, depending on how that storyline goes, it might not work as well. If you're trying to tell a grounded story, you need to have grounded combat. But I think it fits in Odyssey with what they're wanting to do. It it does. I, I think that was really well put, that it does have a little bit of the fantastic uh, to it, because it is. It's it's not just history, but a lot of the legend and mythos around that history, which makes it fun. And because I think Greek mythology and ancient religion is like so popular. I think people are a little more forgiving because it's a little more fun. Now, Valhalla will be interesting. I know they're bringing back social stealth and they seem like they're going to ground it a little bit more in history because it doesn't have those fantastic elements, right? Like this is going to be a clash between, you know, two different nations and possibly two different religions, you know, Christianity versus, you know, the Norse religion. How far will this go? You know, we see that Ivor sees uh, proceeds to see Odin on the battlefield. Will we actually get to meet Odin, or is it more of like that's what he thinks he sees? You know, will there be magical elements, or will it be more grounded? We'll have to see. But uh, it, it sounds like they're going to ground it a little bit more, but at the same time, it still has some pretty cool sort of mysterious elements to it. So I, I'm i very much looking forward to see what they do with Valhalla. Now, you mentioned you are in the middle of the DLC, so you haven't finished it yet. Is that right? Oh, for AC Odyssey. So uh, yes, I am. I'm doing the. I think it's called Fate of Atlantis. 
Mm-hmm, and I'm still on part one. I actually ended up, I was in the middle of uh, completing that DLC. And then I think Fire Emblem Three Houses came out and that consumed my life for like six months. And so with Valhalla being announced, I was like, oh yeah, I don't think I ever finished the last DLC for Odyssey. I should really do that before Valhalla comes out. So I was actually playing a little bit today and just rediscovering the world all over again. It's been really fun. Yeah, I'm excited about that one. If anything is going to get me to dive back into the game, I think it actually is that because I just have a fascination with Atlantis. And I'm like, well, I've got to go through all of this time to get there. And it's it's intimidating, like I said earlier, to know that you have 100 plus hours of gameplay ahead of you. Uh, and, and I think you may have hit something on the head there that you don't have to play the game all in one chunk. Like this is a game where you can spread it out over a year and come back to it multiple times. Did you find it? Did you do that? Did you find it easy to drop back into or did you just play it like straight through over the course of a couple months? So originally I just I consumed the heck I played like oh, okay. 200 hours and I platinum the game and I did all of that because I was so obsessed. And if it makes you feel any better, you can finish the game in like 50, 60 hours if you just do a straight run. But I just wanted to explore all of Greece. I wanted that platinum trophy. Uh, I was just obsessed with the game, just looking around for hours and just wandering around aimlessly talking to people. So you know, that 200 hours isn't a requirement. Some people blasted through this game in a normal RPG time period of like 50, 60 hours at most. It goes by very quickly if you just follow the main route and do occasional side quests just to make sure your levels are up to where they should be. But don't let that 200 hour mark scare you. You can do it in normal RPG time. A lot of people did. But if you get really into it, you want to explore every cave and touch every person and romance every person in the game then you'll be surprised how fast the time goes. That's awesome. Well, I have one last question for you, and this is a projection question. So we know you're getting Assassin's Creed Valhalla at some point, probably toward the end of this year. I guess it's it's 2020. I I think it's still 2020. I think, yeah, I think it's going to come out uh, (laughs) with no delays. It should probably come out sometime between September and December, I'm guessing. Whenever the new consoles release (laughs) is what we're expecting. Well, what would you pick? One historical setting for an Assassin's Creed style game, and it can be this style because you prefer it, that we haven't seen yet in an Assassin's Creed game. Where would we go? Oh, man, I had two or three choices because I couldn't decide. I was like, oh, there's so many places they could go. Uh, Originally, I was going to say Japan, but I feel like Ghost of Tsushima is kind of Assassin's Creed in Japan. So I think that'll scratch that itch a little bit. I would say possibly Russia during the Revolution. Could be one possible one. That would be interesting. I'd really like to see something in like South America with like the, you know, Inca or the Aztecs. That would be completely different. It would be really cool. It would be a total change of pace. I would love that. And then maybe something in China. So those are my top three ones where I'm like, you know, I feel like that's where Assassin's Creed could go next. There's there's lots of possibilities within those three choices. Those are fantastic. So and I sort of halfway expected a China or Japan or a Southeastern Asia choice, but the other two are completely out of left field for me. And I, those are great choices. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Please let Ubisoft know. Let's, oh yeah. Let's go. Let's go for something <laughs> a little bit different. Either, either Russia during the revolution or somewhere within the Inca Aztec empires, just something completely different. Yeah, that, that would be great. Well, everybody listening, tweet Ubisoft and tell them. Bolshevik Revolution or South America for the next exactly. <laughs> Well, Megan, this has been great. I really appreciate you coming on. Why don't you tell everybody how they can find your videos, your podcast, etc., cetera, uh, find you on social media and all that good stuff. Okay, so you can find the video version of my podcast on YouTube at 
Meg Sullivan, M-E-G Sullivan, S-U-L-L-I-V-A-N. You can also just Google history and games, history, history and apostrophe games like Guns and Roses. So history and games and uh, history and games. The audio version will come up on every audio platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. You can also find me on Twitter at Megan, M-E-G-H-A-N underscore I-G-N. I practically live on Twitter. And uh, you can check out my Instagram at Celtic underscore Queen underscore Meg. All right. Well, listeners, if you like what you've heard here, please subscribe, share us with your friends, follow us on Twitter and other social media at The Games We Love. Or you can follow me personally at Aaron L. White. That's Aaron E-L-W-H-I-T-E. I also stream on Twitch Weekly, often open world games like Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And they're perfect for drop-in viewing. I'd love to have you guys follow and come talk about your favorite games, movies, or anything else that makes you happy. And so you can find me there at twitch.tv slash Aaron White. Here on the yes. show, we have... Oh, yes. Yes. I like that. I wasn't expecting your enthusiasm. I No, I do. I was just like, I'm going to follow you on Twitch. Oh, I forgot to plug my own Twitch, which is just Celtic underscore Queen. But yours Perfect. sounds much more interesting. I'm going to go to Aaron L. White. What are you playing? What are you playing on Twitch? Uh, well, nothing right now because I somehow managed to bork my uh, Twitch setup. So I had it all set up on my computer and I did something and I don't know what I did. So the only thing I've been doing is through my PlayStation 4. And I think the last thing I played was like Borderlands 3. So it's been a while. <laughs> That's okay. Borderlands 3 is an ongoing game. It goes on forever. So yeah, you can always just fire. DLC coming out with some new characters. Sounds good. That's what I do is right now I just go through my PS4. Um, I'm in the process of building a machine that can... Not only help me out with the streaming world, but I, I want to go big. So I'm building something that can run VR for the next couple of years. And it's oh, gonna, nice. I got to buy it piece by piece, <laughs> basically. <laughs> I you know what I mean? on that one. It is not cheap and is yeah. not easy to set up. Exactly. So hopefully I'll have that up and running at some point by the end of the summer. Here on the show, we have more great conversations coming soon with some amazing folks that you are not going to want to miss out on. And as a reminder, leaving a five-star review on your listening platform of choice will also help us to grow and get noticed and is much appreciated. Megan, again, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me, sharing your passion for this series with us. It's been awesome. Listeners, thank you so much for being here because this podcast is for you. We'll be back next week. And until then, get out there and follow me.